Mississippi Ed Talk, where we discuss the innovative things going on in Mississippi's K-12 schools. I'm your host, Kristen Deckert. And I'm co-host, Emily Creel. Before we get to our episode today, we have some news about the show. This will be mine and Kristen's last episode as we are both moving on to new positions outside of the RCU. Kristen, I wish you the best in this next phase. Thanks, Emily. I'll miss you all at the RCU and learning about the different programs we've covered with Mississippi Ed Talk, but I'll certainly still be a listener. Now, moving on to our last episode together. This month, we talk with two schools to learn their takes on moving their rankings within the state accountability model. In recent years, these schools received D or F ratings from the state, but through a concerted effort, they have developed programs and practices to target their areas of weakness and are steadily making improvements in a variety of areas. Each school focused on different areas, including student achievement, attendance, and educator development to make these changes, and it certainly paid off. Also, in this episode's Research Minute, the latest information on internet privacy. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Now we're joined by Christina Pollard, and she is the principal at Earl Trevelyan Attendance Center. Uh, Thanks for talking with us today, Christina. Thank you for having me. Um, So we'll get started with, could you just give us an overview of your school um, and the grades that y'all have um, and just kind of what the makeup of your school is? Sure. Our school um, serves grades kindergarten through eighth grade. We have about 350 students. So our student body is small. And this is a community that is not um, growing economically, very high poverty um, area. We look for radical actions to try and improve instruction here. How has your school ranking changed over the past few years? Um, Well, I will say we have had consistent growth over the last three years that I have been principal. When I um, became principal, I walked into a situation where we were a failing school. Uh, We are no longer a failing school. Looking forward to hearing our final accountability results for 2018. Um, and what have you seen as some of the key steps over the past three years that uh, y'all have moved forward and made progress? Well, most importantly, we had to really um, address and attack culture and community. Um, making this a place where children really wanted to attend school, where they would have pride um, and joy and feel safe to learn. It was also a very important action step for us to make um, and renew connections with community members. Um, There are some civic groups that have been around a very long time um, in this community, and they had kind of become disconnected from the school. Um, So that was our most important focus, as well as building a strong team of teachers committed to the work very hard work it takes um, to serve in this area. And once we were able to make some changes within our building aesthetically, um, within our staff, and making this a place where um, children really wanted to be, we were able to then focus on academics. Uh, We modified our master schedule, implemented what's called a tiger time during the second uh, year, and that's a time during the entire school day where all grade levels can focus on remediation and or enrichment to try and fill gaps for children Um, and just a lot of resources that our school was lacking. We've um, looked for opportunities and grant funds to um, purchase the materials that our students needed. And then, of course, we've increased the amount of times our teachers um, spend collaborating with one another and participating in professional development. 
When you when you say culture and community as as some some key steps that you took, could you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by those words and what are, what some maybe what Tiger Time is and what some of those other cultural aspects were? Absolutely. Um, I initially uh, went door to door to some of the businesses. We're located um, kind of in the heart of an industrial park area. And so I went to some of the businesses and some of the um, different organizations and introduced myself, um, spoke about the strengths um, that our school has, but I also shared the weaknesses and helped each different organization or community person understand the impact they could make on our campus and invited them in. Um, within the first couple of months of, of my leadership, we had what was called a community day. We had about 130 volunteers to come on our campus and help us clean our campus, paint it, make it brighter, more rich for children. And that was the very first big bang that got everyone excited in our community. Um, we strengthened community partnerships by having um, different organizations adopt our campus. Um, we have a different organization that is adopted every grade level. That includes volunteer time on campus, mentoring children, providing school supplies, um, being present for parent events. We work with the two local universities um, to establish some stronger partnerships and they provide free professional development for my teachers and support. They also volunteer on our campus. Um, we increased a lot of our parent nights and events to focus on literacy and math to help our parents understand how to help their children at home. And so that was our really big focus in the beginning. Um, also, the implementation of Tiger Time, it varies um, by grade level anywhere from 45 minutes to one hour. And that's an opportunity for a teacher to focus on deficit areas in reading, language, math, and science. Um, students rotate through centers, very small groups, um, and they are grouped according to um, their school-wide test scores, as well as their state test scores. Um, and teachers are able to provide them some intensive support. Um, they work online with research-based programs, as well as receiving some face-to-face -face time with the teachers. And then they also have an opportunity to work together. I think that holistic approach is really interesting. So what steps have y'all also taken um, within your staff to develop leaders or um, build more of a connection? And as I was sharing, it's really, really important for us to work with PRBO Head Start. Um, we included two four-year-old classes on our campus as a way to help our kindergartners come better prepared for the kindergarten, kindergarten readiness assessment and just to make sure that they are well prepared for the school experience. Um, and so we included that early childhood person on our team. Our leadership team works together and we meet weekly and we discuss school strengths, weaknesses, um, needs, comments from the community, from our teachers, how we can go about serving our teachers better. Um, we established a mentorship program where we looked at a number of at-risk students on our campus. We assigned students to each one of us on the leadership team as a way of giving that child another outlet and a safe person to speak with just to help them be successful in school. And that leadership team is still in place. I have changed members a few times to give others opportunities for leadership and for growth. Um, and I'm really, really proud of the efforts that we've taken. A lot of times when schools are working on improvement, um, particularly academic improvement, you, you hear a lot about tutoring or um, blocking out additional time for classes. 
And a lot of what, I'm, I'm sure you all are doing that, but, but a lot of what you're talking about is, is more holistic and taking, taking care of the student and um, building a rapport with the community. Why would you say that this holistic approach is important um, when addressing academic deficits? Well, I will say um, when I became the principal, we took time to analyze the data, um, visiting the community and just getting to getting to know the history um, behind the struggles of the school. And of course, research supports um, addressing the whole child will give a child of poverty a better opportunity for success. And so we address that by using capturing kids hearts. It's a system that we put in place. Um, and just to give it to you in very simple terms, we are very purposeful about the relationships that we build with our students. And so everyone in our school and for our district, for that matter, um, we've all been trained in capturing kids' hearts. And so what's important is every child is greeted every morning by at least five adults. Um, the mentoring program allows for children to have a safe outlet to, to have someone that believes in them and that loves them and that encourages them regularly. Um, and then we're a PBIS model school, so we're very effective with encouraging children to do the right thing and to meet our tiger expectations um, and rewarding. That's what's really important is rewarding our students and praising them. And I will say that we've had a significant decline in discipline and consistent and approved attendance due to those efforts. So if you can address those areas first, then you can always then go in and address academics. And we've talked a lot about the community and parents and involvement. Um, how has that community and parent response been as you've continued this process and seen the growth? What uh, sort of response have you gotten out of your community? Well, I have to tell you, we are so very proud of the growth and increase of our with our parental involvement. In the very beginning, we had the same one or two teachers that, or one or two parents that would attend um, our parent meetings. And so what we had to do was come together at the table and think, why are our parents uncomfortable? Or what do we need to do to help them feel that this is important for them to be a part of? And so we established what's called our P16 Community Engagement Council. And it includes parents. It includes members from the business community, from the industrial park, um, from the local universities, as well as PRBO. And we all come together to address community needs. And when we were doing that, the parents really appreciated the fact that we were concerned about their children and about their well-being. And so the numbers at our community council meetings have increased consistently over the last two years. And that in itself made an impact on the parent nights and the literacy nights that we provide. Um, they, they realized what we're really here to do for their children. And if they've had a bad experience of their own um, from the past, I think that it's helped wipe away their negative perception of our school or our district or just the um, educational process itself. So um, in Mississippi, there are a lot of schools that are in a similar situation to the one that you were in a few years ago. What advice would you give them for um, lowering discipline um, infractions or changing um, their ranking, sort of improving overall? Most important is to establish a strong team. You cannot do this alone. Uh, 
no matter how strong your leadership skills are, you can be the best principal in the state of Mississippi, but you are only as strong as the team that you are surrounded by. Listen to your team members, let them give you input. Again, reach out to parents and community members and let it be a shared effort to improve the school. All right, so uh, the school year's been out or been going for a couple of months now. Tell us what's new this year. Uh, what are some things that, that you're are new to implement or on the horizon? Well, I'm really excited to share that last year we applied um, for a competitive school improvement grant and we were awarded $2.1 million to improve instruction on our campus. Um, so with that program, we were able to extend our learning day to include an additional 300 instructional hours during this school year. So on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, we actually have school from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Our parents are on board, our students are on board, and our teachers are on board, and it's been going very, very well. We also provide our children with an additional snack and an additional physical education time period during this two hours of extended learning. Another initiative that we have in place is increased amount of time for our teachers to collaborate. So every Wednesday, we have an additional two hours for our teachers to participate in professional learning communities and professional development, often provided by the Mississippi Department of Education. That's impressive that you've gotten students on board for staying, staying at school a little bit later. So it must, they must be really enjoying themselves. They are, but I went room to room during the grant writing process. Of course, I've met with parents, I met with teachers, and I presented the possibilities. But I told them I couldn't do this alone, and I didn't want to tell them to do it. I wanted this to be a vision and a dream and goals that all of us shared. And so we gave them opportunities to give feedback. They gave feedback on the hours of the day, how we would set school. Um, they gave feedback on transportation. Parents gave their feedback and their concerns. And the teachers as well. They had multiple meetings um, by themselves without me and then presented me um, with their concerns and with their questions. And I took all of that and implemented it within the plan, presented it to them again before submitting for the grant. And so we were all anxiously awaiting um, the news on whether we were going to be a recipient or not. And I, th I just think that everyone is bought in and we all want success and we all believe that our children can do it. That's great. We're, uh, we'll be watching to see what comes from it um, and keeping up with y'all. We're, we're glad that you've seen growth um, so far. Well, thanks for talking with us today, and we've enjoyed learning more about uh, your school and um, the different possibilities that y'all have explored and what's worked for you. Thank you for your time. Did you know that most schools lack a privacy policy for their school website and that activities such as accessing data and making online payments may not be through fully secure connections? EdTech Strategies recently undertook a four-month research project entitled Tracking EDU in order to look at how education agencies protect their websites and their users, which are typically faculty and students. In this project, EdTech Strategies gathered their information by looking at every State Department of Education website and the websites of 159 school districts chosen because they are larger and deemed technology savvy. The study found that over half of State Departments of Education do not secure website communications, actively redirect users to insecure connections, or have configuration errors that break website security. The news isn't all bad, though. 
Through privacy policies, departments of education often will state how they are using information gathered on their websites. 63% of state education websites have a privacy policy that disclose the use of or presence of ad tracking and or cookies on their website. However, EdTech strategies found that several states made false statements about their data collection and privacy practices within their privacy policy. School district information was also concerning, as only 12% of school district websites in the sample had a privacy policy that informed users of ad tracking or cookies on their websites. As these websites are not using HTTPS protocol, third parties can inject malware into users' systems as well as see what pages the users are viewing while they access their school district or State Department of Education website. Though internet safety regarding their students seems to be a concern for most teachers, many school districts and State Departments of Education are not actively protecting their users. Upgrading to secure connections through HTTPS protocol, which leads to a safer and more secure browsing experience, or the use of analytic software that does not share data with third parties, are avenues agencies and schools may want to pursue. Performing a privacy audit may be another valuable use of resources to ensure privacy precautions are in place, especially on sites that house sensitive data related to students. As more and more data are collected and made available online, leaders must update policies in order to protect students, parents, and faculty. Thanks for joining us for a discussion about these school success stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I know I've enjoyed all my time with Mississippi Ed Talk and the RCU. We hope you'll subscribe to Mississippi Ed Talk on your favorite podcast app so you get episodes as soon as they're released each month. Show notes for this episode can be found at rcu.msstate.edu/msedtalk. Until next time, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at rcumsu. Mississippi Ed Talk is a production of the Mississippi State University Research and Curriculum Unit and is hosted by Kristen Decker and Emily Creel and edited by Amanda Gromwald. Special thanks to Carly Kimbrell for contributions to this month's episode.